this morning while the children are dismissed to go back to Children's Church. If you're a child that wants to be back there, be a blessing. Luke chapter 2. Looking forward to the day when all the kids say, no, we'd rather stay, but they've never said that yet. I guess it's more exciting with the evens than it is in here. That's a blessing. Christmas, the season can be a dangerous time, and I'm not referring to the shopping where you take your life in your own hands as you pick up the last Mega Blocks musical farm band and face an angry mama who wants it as well. I know those can be some dangerous times, but by the way, we, we get along our Christmas shopping so far. Somebody asked me the other day, uh, if I've done my Christmas shopping yet, and it's not even the 24th. I don't understand why I would ask that kind of question. But this year, I thought I would do something different for my kids. You know how every year when you buy toys, uh, you always when they open it up, sometimes it's a disappointment, especially if you didn't think about it. Uh, it's, it'll say, batteries not included. Remember that? All the times you've had to do that. This year, I thought I would give each one of my kids a jar of batteries, it says, toys not included. I think that's a good idea, isn't it? So there's a gift idea for you. Uh, I like to be creative like that in my Christmas giving. Uh, it's only fair as many times as they've gotten toys without batteries. But I'm not talking about uh, that kind of danger. I'm talking about the fact that there's a danger. We've heard the Christmas story so often it just becomes familiar. Remember when I was 10 years old, it was our first Christmas that we celebrated as Christians. We had been in a religion that didn't celebrate Christmas that much, and so now we're uh, able to be in a church that celebrated. They asked my, me and my sister to be in a uh, Christmas program at the church there, and my job was to read Luke chapter 2, part of the text we're going to read today, verses 1 through 20. And being the overachiever that I was, I didn't uh, prepare to read it. I memorized it, and then I quoted all 20 verses in the Christmas program. And since then, obviously, it's been very familiar to me. And maybe many of you have uh, memorized certain segments of the Christmas story. They're out of the Bible. And there's a danger that we lose the significance of the message because we become so familiar with it. Every year we hear the same stories told in sometimes the same and sometimes different ways. And it's a challenge, by the way, as a preacher to approach the Christmas season. And you want to talk about the times that we're in, but yet uh, is a limit to what happens. And so we regurgitate these stories. We talk about the shepherds and the angels and the wise men and Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can take it for granted and turn it into a simple tradition. Now, there's nothing wrong with Christmas traditions. You probably have some in your family. We have some traditions in our family. Uh, all the time my kids were growing up, uh, one thing that we did every Christmas was we did our opening of presents on Christmas Day, and on Christmas night, they would sleep around the tree. And uh, I don't know, in case somebody stole the presents, I'm not sure what that was about, but they would all camp around the tree, and, and uh, that was one of our traditions. But uh, this year, as we're looking at different characters uh, in the Christmas story, last week we looked at Mary and Elizabeth. Uh, I want to continue to take out a microscope, if you will, and kind of zero in on the characters in these stories. And by looking closely at a part, we might see the whole in a different light. The shepherds we're talking about today, we saw the shepherds in the video there are shown as people questioning even what they had seen that night. What had they really experienced? 
and to see. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. We'll start reading at verse number 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the bay wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told by them, uh, told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I want to preach today for a few minutes here on the message to the misfits. The message to the misfits. Father, I ask you to use the reading of your word. I pray you'd help us to be challenged from it today in a special way. Help us, Father, to always, as we come to church, leave better than we came. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you read this Christmas story, a question that we really can't, uh, it's going to arise at some point, as God is sending his son to be born a virgin on planet Earth, He's going to take on the form of a human being. To whom is he going to make the announcement of his birth? That's a pretty big deal and a pretty big part of the story. We could see how God might choose to announce the birth of Christ to Herod the king. We can see that uh, if he announced the birth at a, in some kind of splendid ceremony in the temple led by the high priest, at the very least, you would find some gathering or meeting of the city's elite or the city council or someone and make the news be known that way. Yet to whom in the Bible does God announce the birth of His Son? The announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ was not made to a king in the palace. It was not made to a priest in the temple. It was not made to the movers and shakers or the most important people of that day. The announcement of the birth of the Messiah, the announcement of the one who would grow up, uh, grow up and die on a cross for the sins of mankind, this announcement was made to a ragtag group of shepherds. Perhaps it's natural for a society to look down on their rural counterparts. It's always probably been this way. Even today, uh, they do if you watch the news at all. Do you know what we're called in Washington, D.C.? You know what South Dakota and, and uh, Minnesota and, and all these uh, Midwestern states, we're just called simply flyover country. We're not worth visiting. It's just flyover country. Because what really matters in this nation is New York and California. Amen? That's the really important people in this world. And so... Somehow, Judean shepherds, they became known as the lowest of the low in society. They were vagabonds and outcasts. To be a shepherd was considered to be a very humble occupation in a Judean providence. 
Uh, there may have been uh, their, their own fault that they brought this stigma on themselves. They were not the most honest lot that you would know. And many times they would use other people's land to graze and they would trespass for their flocks. Uh, the stigma, though, is a little surprising because some of Israel's greatest men were shepherds in the beginning. Uh, we know that Abraham had his flocks and Isaac had his and Jacob uh, watched the flocks of Laban and had his own flocks as well. Moses was a shepherd and even Israel's greatest king, David himself, was a shepherd before he became king. Shepherding, though, by now had changed from a family business that we see in 1 Samuel 16 to a despised occupation. Shepherding was a lonely occupation, particularly at night. A shepherd stood his watch and, uh, the, so that the sleeping sheep did not wake up and that prowling predators would not have access to them. Yet he also had a tender side. The Bible talks about in Jeremiah 33, 12, how he would count his sheep constantly. Uh, in Isaiah 40, 11, he would lift the weak sheep upon his shoulders. Uh, John 10, 1, they would build crude pens to uh, protect them so they could sleep in safety. But at the time of Luke 2, shepherds were by no means the social elite. At best, they were common, ordinary men. At worst, they were vile, dirty men who, for the most part, were social and religious outcasts. You see, a shepherd, shepherding was a seven-day job, and so they did not observe the Sabbath like good Jews did, and, and they were looked down upon for that. They couldn't follow the typical rules. The shepherds viewed, uh, they were viewed as a necessary part of society, but not one that most Jews would want much to do with. Yet they represent, in our story, in the Christmas story, the outcasts and rejects, that's who Jesus came for, just like you and just like me. That night, the shepherds were simply doing what shepherds do. They were watching out for the sheep under their care. Then something changed everything. The angel of the Lord appeared to make an announcement. And again, just for fear of the fact that we read this story over and over and over, that sometimes we lose the impact of it, I don't want you to lose the impact of that. A bunch of shepherds out on a lonely field and an angel of the Lord appears to make an announcement to them. That's pretty big stuff. We certainly would not expect God to make an announcement to these men. Yet the very group of men that was chosen to hear the announcement of Christ's birth was none other than these misfits, these shepherds. I want to examine the message the angel had. Let's look first at the astonishment they experienced. Look at verse number 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The Bible opens the curtain to this story uh, as a group of shepherds are out in a field. It's quiet. It's night. Uh, probably you've got the, the night sounds going on. You don't hear it in South Dakota winters, but you hear it in South Dakota summers, okay? You hear the night sounds going on, and everything was quiet. Uh, it was just another boring night with the sheep. And then all of a sudden, the sky was filled with light. The angel descended from heaven, and he was clothed in light. Try to picture that one if you would. He was clothed in light, and the boredom and the tranquility of this evening was shattered in a second. The Bible says they were sore afraid. You think? I think we all of us would be. And no wonder, imagine again who they were and what they saw. And the most fascinating truth in this whole story 
is just who received this visit from heaven. The angel of God appeared to the most despised of people. He comes to people who are outcast from respectable society. Shepherds in that day were so questionable, they weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law. They weren't, their word wasn't even uh, seen as valuable enough for that. But hallelujah, there are no people so low that the grace of God does not reach them. And that's still true today, just as much as it was then. There are many big and wealthy men in Palestine, many scholars and learned men, yet their ears did not hear glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The greatest news the world has ever heard was heard by a simple shepherds. God chose to appear to the outcasts. And friends, I love that. I love that about the Christmas story. I like that God likes to use common people. No sophisticated lady of Palestine was chosen to carry the Christ child. No, it was simple, poor Mary, a girl from Nazareth. No great man was chosen to lead the home which Christ would be reared in. It was left to a humble carpenter. And it's always been this way in the Bible. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound those which are mighty. One of the greatest truths in the Bible and today is the fact that God uses little people to do big things. That encourages me because you know what? I'm a little people, amen? And uh, so are many of you as well. And I'm glad God will use us. Who killed Goliath? It was little David uh, from also being a shepherd at that time. Who defeated the Midianites with 300 men? It was a nobody named Gideon. Who led the children of Israel out of the promised land? It was a nobody from the backside of a desert. And God uses nobodies. He uses little things to accomplish big things. Who, who was instrumental in feeding 5,000 people? It was one boy with one lunch, and Jesus did so much with it. Who was it that Jesus chose to show as an object lesson for greatness? Was it a king? Was it a general? No, in the Bible, Matthew 18, 4, it says that he set a little child in front of them, and he said this, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child the same shall be the greatest in heaven. And so he uses little things. And this was how it was in the Christmas story. Mary, Joseph, and today we have the shepherds. It doesn't read like a hall of fame. God uses common people. Outcasts are the recipients of his grace. And you may today feel like a big old zero. But God uses nobodies. He is not a respecter of persons. He does not show more respect to the white collar than he does to the blue collar. Friend, Jesus came for you, and God wants to use you no matter who you are. And I thank God for that. See, when God, who God came to reveals much about his character. Power, popularity, prosperity. These things don't impress God at all. It all comes down to the baseline truth that we all need to recognize. None of us have anything to offer God. None of us do. Uh, we, we tend to think today that if we achieve some status, God is more inclined to show us grace. But our the things that we hold important, they don't mean anything to God. I thought I think of the humorous story about the man who spent his whole life 
uh, collecting gold. He put all of his efforts and all of his labor towards accumulating as much gold as he possibly could. And then he decided that when he dies, he's going to take the gold with him. Okay, now we know that can't happen, but this is just a story. So he decided he's going to take the gold with him, and he instructed that when he was buried, they would put that gold in the casket with him, and so they did. And he shows up at the door of heaven with all of his gold, and who's standing at the door of heaven? St. Peter, right? That's how we always hear it. And Peter says, oh, you brought some pavement. Because the things in the earth that are big on us, they don't mean anything to God, you understand. And yet we put so much value on those, but we better recognize we've got nothing to offer God that uh, is going to mean anything to Him except our obedience and our devotion and serving Him. But this message, uh, the message of this text clearly refutes the notion that God is impressed with big people. No matter how insignificant you may think you are, God knows you. He notices you. He loves you. And He died for you. Look at, secondly, the announcement they received. Notice the message that the angel brought. Initially, it dealt with their immediate need. The first words out of his mouth, uh, because the Bible says they were sore afraid, the angel said, fear not. Now, don't miss this, because uh, we may miss the real picture of the text here. Because you see, this is not... <laughs> we look at it as a Christmas story, and it's, oh, it's so wonderful, and we read it, and we... Uh, sitting in the comfort of our own chairs at home and sipping hot chocolate. It's just a wonderful story. This is not a soothing passage in their eyes. This is a terrifying passage. In verse 8, we see the shepherds in the dark. They're perfectly calm and peaceful shepherds abiding in the field. And as soon as God's light shines on them, they are terrified, as any of us would have been. When they're in the dark, they're all right. But when the light of God shines on them, they're terrified. It says here in the text, they were sore afraid. Now, literally, originally, the text does uh, what's typical of ancient languages in making a point. It doubles a word. It, in the original, sore afraid comes from megas phobia phobos. Megas meaning uh, great, splendid, or on a grand scale. Uh, phobo, uh, phobo is to put to flight by terrifying, to be struck with fear. And phobos is that which strikes terror. So literally, when the glory of the Lord shone right about them, terrified, they feared with a great fear. They were scared, as any of us probably would have been. Quaking in their boots, frozen in place, blood ran cold, petrified, however you want to describe it. And what we have here is one of the main themes of the Bible. It's a long ways from the wonderful nostalgic feeling that we get when we see this scene on a Christmas card. Uh, this was a terrifying moment, and one of the themes of the Bible is that men and women love darkness uh, more than they love the light of God in their natural state. The glory light of Christmas is not a soothing one at all. The shepherds certainly didn't think so. They weren't having warm, gooey feelings at this time. The glory light of Christmas is shocking. It is terrifying. That's the first thing the angel says. Fear not. Fear not. I like that. The angel knows what's going on in the hearts and minds of these shepherds. Look at what he says. Fear not, for behold. Now, what the angel is doing is he is responding to their condition. The angel is saying, fear not, and there's a reason not to fear, and he follows it up with, for behold. I want you to see what I'm about to tell you. So, fear not, for behold. 
And what is he wanting you to behold? I bring you good tidings of great joy. The word for good tidings there is interesting. The original word that's translated to good tidings is 22 times in the New Testament translated as gospel. Because that's exactly what this was. This was the gospel. Uh, the angel says, essentially, I know you're afraid. All people are afraid when the light of God's truth shines on them. But you don't have to be afraid if you behold what I'm about to tell you. If you behold the truth of the gospel. And that is that Jesus Christ came and he's announcing it to common people. He came for common people and undeserving people, just like you and me. The angel's message of Christmas is this. If you behold what I say, then you can be done with your fear. Fear not, for behold. And there it is. The choice there is very clear. Because this morning, if you're in fear, you're not beholding. If you're beholding, you're not in fear. These two are mutually exclusive. Uh, Christmas, the gospel message of Christmas is very clear. The message of the gospel ends our fear. Amen. So just like he told the shepherds there, fear not for behold, I'm telling you today, we've got a message we can rejoice in. Is society a mess? Yeah, society's a mess. People don't know if they're boys or girls anymore. They don't know what the bathroom to walk in. I mean, it's a mess, our society is. But I tell you, there's something we can rejoice in. There's a reason we don't have to fear all the things that are going on today. The wars and the unrest and the financial crises and all these different things that are happening. Fear not, for behold, I give you good tidings of great joy. What a blessing that is that we can rejoice in. The announcement they received was personal. Look what the angel says, Unto you is born this day. The message from heaven is that God is interested in the individual. He cares about you. When Jesus came into this world, He came as a Savior, and that's good, but this is better. He also came to be your Savior, and He came to be my Savior. I like that, because it makes it personal. And so, uh, Jesus, pray, uh, I think of when He comes, and, and John 3.16 talks about Him dying for the sins of the world, but it puts a shout in my soul when I realize He died for me, not only uh, for the world. And he died for you too. John, in the Bible, is an interesting character. Uh, John, we call him what? What's John called? The beloved disciple. How many of you have heard that before? We've all grown up. John, the beloved disciple. Uh, why does it say, why do we call him the beloved disciple? Because in the Bible, it says, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, it says it three times in the Bible, and so we have named him the beloved disciple. And it wasn't until just a couple of years ago I was reading uh, through that, and it suddenly struck me one day, do you know who wrote in the Bible John the disciple that Jesus loved? All three times written by the same person. John. Isn't that, isn't that hilarious? John, the disciple that Jesus loved. I mean, that's like me walking around, yes, well, you know, God loves me. And, but I believe what John is saying and, and what we need to realize too, I know God loves the world. I know God loves the other disciples. I know Jesus loves everything, but hey, He loves me. He loves me. I am the disciple that Jesus loved. And you are too, friend. He loved you enough to die for you. 
The announcement they received was personal. It was also powerful. The angel talks to them about a baby, and not just any baby, but a special baby. This child would be different from all other children. The baby is named by three specific names the angel gave here. He called him Savior. He is the one who would give his life as a ransom for the sins of many. He's the one who would be ro- who would robe his deity with humanity. He would come to this world to die for sinners, Philippians chapter 2. He's the one who came to do all what all the sacrifices in the temple for generations could not accomplish. They could not take the sins of mankind away. He came to do that. Uh, they always did that in picture of him. Hebrews 10.11, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering and sacrifices which can never take away sin. For by one offering hath he perfected that forever them that are sanctified. Say, preacher, why don't we offer animals today? Bring our sheep to church with us and throw it on a a big uh, grate up here and sacrifice our... We don't do that today because we've had our sacrifice. Jesus Christ was that perfect spotless Lamb of God that pictured all the sacrifices that had come before. That They were not... They were completely... uh, They were a picture of Him, but in and of themselves, they did nothing. He did it all. And He's our sacrifice. He was born to die. Jesus Christ was content with a stable when He was born so we could have a mansion when we die. What a blessing. And then not only is He called Savior, but He's called Christ. The wor- this word tells us that He's the Anointed One, the Messiah. He's the one promised from the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 talks about it. He's the one that God said would come. He's the one that the Jews anticipated. Every time they offered a sacrifice... Every time they went to a feast, this was what was picturing. And then he's also called Lord. This title identifies him as sovereign God. The little baby was the one who got, who spoke the universe into existence. The one who formed man from the dust of the earth. The one who breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. He is the one who controls the paths of the planets. He is Lord of all. He lives in Bethlehem and lies there as a Helpless baby. What a miracle. And all this news came to a group of shepherds. I love it. I love it. Because it's always encouraging to me when God comes to a nobody and uses them in a great way. Because I don't have talents. I don't have abilities like many people do. Would you believe I played football in high school? I didn't. None of you believed it. Well, as soon as you heard it, none of you believed it. I don't have athletic ability. There's a lot of things I can't do, but I'm glad God can use me despite all of that. Amen. You too today may have a heart filled with fear. Fear about your health, your family, your job security, the economy, the condition of our society. But we need not have fear because we've been given great tidings, a good tidings of great joy. Why? A Savior was born, Scripture was fulfilled, and Christ is Lord over all. Praise the Lord for that. And then thirdly, the acknowledgement they offered. The shepherds hear the message, and they react. And how they responded altered the course of their lives, and I believe it altered the course of their eternity. How they responded to this announcement of the Christ child. Because they could have done what people still do today. They could have debated it. 
I, we saw a little bit of that in the video. It's just a, uh, it's just a, a kind of a guesstimation of how the conversations might have went. But they could have sat down and analyzed what they should do. I mean, could they really afford to leave the sheep? What if something happened while they were gone? Talking, talking, talking. Sometimes talking, uh, we actually talk ourselves out of responding in faith. They could have rejected it. They could have said, this message is just too unbelievable. I told you, you had too much pepperoni on your calzone last night. We are dreaming. This is not real. Some people believe the gospel message is too far-fetched. They could have discussed it or dissected it. They could have said, this never could happen this way. It's never happened this way before. And we often uh, reject uh, new things or what we think demands too much of us. They could have doubted it. Any number of excuses they could have come up with to keep them from acting on the story they just heard. Who are we? Who's going to believe us? The last thing a new mother wants in their nursery is us, a bunch of stinky old shepherds. And they could have went back and forth here, but the Bible says the shepherds chose to believe, and their faith is revealed in their words. Notice carefully, it does not say, let us go and see if these things are true. Here's what it does say. Let us even now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. Their faith is clear in their words. Can I tell you today, it's not enough to hear about Jesus. It's not enough to even look in the manger and think, oh, how nice. Uh, what a touching scene. It's not enough that Jesus was born in Bethlehem so many years ago. If you're not born again in Him, you'll be eternally lost because that's what's important. That's what the key is here. And what they actually did changed their lives. Look what it says. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They simply took the message they heard at face value and then went to Bethlehem to see the Christ child. Can I tell you, this is the only response to God's invitation that will bring salvation to the soul. When the message comes to a lost sinner, there is a crucial moment there. Either the sinner will heed the message and go to Christ, or he'll reject the message and continue in sin. And the, what you do with the message of the gospel determines your eternal destiny. What have you done? What have you done with Christ as he comes to you? To receive the message of the gospel means a changed life forever for the believer. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So the amazement they experienced, the announcement they received, the acknowledgement they offered, and then the advancement they initiated. Look at verse number 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. They head off to Bethlehem. Hearing about Jesus is one thing, but seeing him for yourself, this makes all the difference. When they met him themselves, they wanted others to know about him. And so, believe it or not, <laughs> the first evangelists in the New Testament gospel age was a group of grimy shepherds. They were glorifying and praising God for what they heard and what they saw. These shepherds, as far as we know, never changed vocations. The Bible says later they returned. Uh, they, but they had come, become something and someone else now. They were evangelists. The word comes from a Greek word here, the news, that simply means to tell the good news, to be an evangelist. And that's what they did after meeting Jesus. God took these rough, rejected, outcast shepherds, 
And he sent them out with a message of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the message. It wasn't, hey, we saw an angel. You should have seen that choir. Man, when they sang, it was the greatest thing we ever heard. No, they, this is what they said. They told others what was told them concerning the child. Because this is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. When we meet Jesus for ourselves, there's a desire ignited within us to see our family, our friends, and our loved ones meet Him too. And you don't have to change your vocation. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 tells us that when we are saved, we become believers, we are endued with a new vocation. And that is to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I, this, isn't, this is just a question. It's not in the Bible, the answer. But I wonder what happened to those in verse 18. And all they that heard it wondered at these things. Did some of them go and to the manger and see the baby? Did some of them go uh, there to see Mary and Joseph? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, but I'd like to think some of them did. Remember that these shepherds, who they were, they were rude, they were crude, they were tough. You wouldn't want your daughter to date one of these guys. They were outcasts. But they gave the gospel message and people listened and people responded. Can I tell you that it's not our duty to save anyone. It's our duty to tell them and you let God do the saving. And that's all they did. These were shepherds. They weren't cultured scholars. They didn't have degrees. But the Bible says they were glorifying and praising God in verse number 20. Probably the only kind of praising they would know. Loud and exciting and boisterous as they were shepherds. I think it brought a smile to God's face. I, I just, this is just my own thoughts as I picture it, but I, I imagine God smiling, saying, I think I told the right guys. I think I told the right people as they're out spreading the news. Because why? God uses nobodies. He uses simple people to accomplish big things. Now, the question today is, will you let him use you? I hope so. In verse number 20, and the shepherds returned. They had to go back to the ordinary. And the same is true for us every Christmas. I mean, during the month I was driving through town last night, and I saw all the pretty lights, and a lot of houses are decorated, and, and uh, some beautiful scenery that we see with the Christmas lights, and, the, and all the tapestries of Christmas, and all the at, at your house you've got all the one-plot Hallmark movies that are playing, uh, different actors, different scenes, but just one plot for all of them. Makes it easy on the channel. And uh, so as these things are playing, but sooner or later, all these things disappear because then comes January. We've got to take the lights down and, and around, you know, middle of February, you finally get around to taking the tree down and, and you kind of get rid of some of the Christmas things and we get back to our regular life. But these shepherds returned so full of what was happening, they could not but share the good news. They returned to the ordinary activities of their life, but their life would never again be ordinary. Being a shepherd was lonely, boring, and monotonous, sprinkled with moments of extreme danger. We know that David, as a shepherd, two times had to fight wild animals, once a lion and once a bear. So there was times there was some excitement, but most of the time just boredom. You know what kept the shepherds going? It was hope. Because God had promised His people that one day He would send the Messiah. It was that hope that burned within their hearts and kept them going. When those shepherds met God, everything changed for the better. 
And I want to ask today, how about you? There are times when life becomes very hard. Going on is just makes us more weary. But meeting Jesus injects hope into our lives. Thank God for His precious gift. There are times when we wonder if it's even worth going on. But the Lord has promised that one day He's coming back. And just as for centuries and for generations it was predicted He would come the first time, He said in John 14, If I go, I will come again. He's coming again. And when He does, it will be uh, for uh, shepherds and kings, for the rich and the poor, for somebodies and nobodies. He's coming for His people. He will dry all the tears, the Bible says, and take away all the pain. There'll be no more death. No more goodbyes, then we also will be glorifying and praising God. I hope you're ready for that day. I hope you're prepared for that day when He comes again. What a fantastic story it is, the story of these misfit shepherds. Kings and rulers of the world are routinely accompanied by great ceremony. They, if they go anywhere, they're flanked by guards or secret service. Their presence is announced by music and trumpets. They enter with much fanfare. Media and photographers follow them everywhere. They have press secretaries and, and uh, they have uh, publicists that protect their image. But in contrast, Jesus, though he possessed all the glories of heaven, came as a humble ruler. We see this even in his birth. Born to a family of little means, laid his very first bed in a manger. And I know we spruce that up for our Christmas cards, but that was dirty. And I don't know if you've ever worked much in barns, but uh, the manger that we had when I was growing up had about that thick of a uh, saliva on it. You could scrape it off, you know, as they as they slobber over their foot. It was dirty. It wasn't the clean, airbrushed version we have on our Christmas cards today. That was his first bed. He came as a nobody to nobodies. We see this even in his birth. And the first news about it was a message to the misfits. And hey, it's a message to us today as well. It's a message to, because maybe you see yourself as a misfit this morning. Uh, we see ourselves as nothing special, and yet God did all this for you and for me. I'm grateful that he includes common people in the message of Christmas. In fact, that's the only people that really were involved in the Christmas story, common people. He loves you, and He wants to make a difference in your life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today? Uh, what a tremendous message we have as we read about the shepherds. And as you're sitting here today, and we talked several times about the fact of the gospel message that Jesus Christ came. He had to come, born of a virgin, because He couldn't uh, have an earthly father. Therefore, He did not have a sinful nature. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he died on the cross for our sins. He did that because he had to. Because you and I can do nothing about our sinful condition. I'm asking you today, have you accepted this Christ child? Have you accepted Jesus Christ into, as your personal Lord and Savior? If not, friend, you can do that today before you leave. Just come forward at the invitation. Somebody will take a Bible and show you. And you can leave forever changed as a new creature. As she begins to play, would you stand along with me, heads bowed, eyes closed, and if the Lord spoke to your heart, 